Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today for our series on women in the judiciary is High Court Judge Sharon Chisiwe from the Free State Division of the High Court. The judiciary is an important component of the justice system that safeguards and protects the Constitution and its values, and in doing so upholds democracy by applying the law impartially to adjudicate disputes. To open today's program, I'd like to use a quote from the former judge of the Supreme Court of India and former member of the National Human Rights Commission of India, Justice Sujata Manoha, who said in response to competing socio-ideologies that we face today, we live in several centuries at the same time. That's the challenge we face as women. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Doc Amazon. So thank you for inviting me, and it's quite a great opportunity to be here with humanity. Judge Jasira, to begin with, you earned your LLM from the University of the Free State in 2023, your LLB from the University of Vista in 2002, and went on to become an advocate and now serve as a high court judge. But you initially studied nursing, worked in Kimberley Hospital for over 10 years, Please talk us through your transition from nursing into law. Uh, it was quite a difficult transition. And I had to, I, I think I took about a year to make a final decision whether I really want to leave nursing. And eventually when I decided to leave, I resigned. And But before I resigned, I applied to the university. But now my departure from nursing was based on a lot of incidents that I had seen throughout my years in nursing whilst I was there, the injustices that I saw when I was there, many incidents that, that were based on color that I felt this needs to be attacked one way or the other. Then I realized the only way for me to deal with such things, if, if, if I can get in the legal field, and then I have a legal background where I can legally fight any issues that come that my way. For example, like I've said, we were a class of 20, we were 20 in my training class. There were nine colors, 10 whites, and I was the only black student. There were so many issues about the years. Our salaries were not the same, and the different patients of color would be treated at the different sections of the hospital. And that made me realize I need to go and study something in a legal field that will make me well armed to be able to fight any legal issues in the future that will come as things like the, car, the things that I was facing then. Because at that time, there was not much you could say. We didn't have your constitution. You couldn't just voice your things without having anything because you'll be in trouble. So you either silently keep quiet and fight your battles quietly whilst you see how to get out of the situation. And eventually I resigned and went to study law. I actually wanted to study medicine, but then my medicine science were not that good. So I went into law and like, here I am today. It still must have been an incredibly brave decision. And when we were talking offline, you mentioned two things which really stuck with me. One, the fact that women, particularly Black women, were limited in terms of their career opportunities. It was either going into teaching or nursing. 
the fact that you had yes. discrimination on salary and experienced gender discrimination, not only as an employee, but witnessing patients being racially divided to different wings of the hospital. Yes. Like I'm saying, that, for example, we had no other option most of the time as a black person. You either go nursing, teaching or policing. That's how you'll find in my family, all the females are nurses. Even today, my sisters are nurses. Everybody was my aunt, everybody's a nurse. Then I was the only one who deviated and said, no, I'm going this way. Because that time I didn't have the option, but now I have an option to go. And that's why my career in the legal field started late because I spent about 10, 12 years in nursing. And as said before, you've had situation where you have an Asian patient who comes in. The patient will be moved from one side of the hospital to the other side because it was like, where must he be admitted? Is he black enough to be on the black side or is he white enough to be in the white side? But those kind of incidents make me realize then I have to go into the legal field. And in the legal field, reflecting on your career, particularly as a, as a judge, what have been some of the most memorable cases that you've presided over? Oh, I've presided over quite a few memorable cases. But my passion being family law, because my master's is in family law. And most of my cases that are memorable mostly deals where I had to move, for example, a child from the mother to the father. And in that way, my thing was, doesn't mean when you are the mother, you are the better parent. Where the evidence is shown that the father is just as good and is actually a better parent than the mother. I would gladly remove the child from the mother. I've had incidents where a baby of nine months, I remove from the mother to the father. And in most cases, those fathers have proven that they can do a good job just as a mother can do. And it's quite, when you follow up some of these cases, you are so happy to hear later that the father is doing such a good job. The child is in high school now. The child is in university, for example. And you realize, well, it means I didn't do a mistake. Because sometimes when you move a child, you think, maybe I'm making a mistake. If I'm say, making the child go to the one parent and not the other parent. But when you hear reports back later that the child is doing quite well where he is with the father, the child has become a quite a matured person, an adult who's doing well. The father has proven to do a good job with the child. And in most instances, you realize, well, it means my decision in this case was quite right, was on track. So most of the, my memorable cases are my family law cases because it's my passion. And I'd imagine it must be a lot of empathy and emotion that's involved with making those types of decisions because you're deciding on the life of a little human being. Very emotional because in most cases, you see the evidence on paper. You've never seen the outside of that child, the parents, how they interact. You see on paper. So you make a decision based on what you see on paper. And I normally tell the parents in court, sometimes they do sit in court that now you are allowing us strangers to decide on your child because you as parents can make a decision now a stranger the legal people who are also here are also strangers to this child you know how, what your child likes what he loves he, the, the do's and don'ts you know how he sleeps at night now we must make a decision based on what the legal uh, people are telling us on a child that we see we have never even seen 
you see on paper the child is, for example, Sharon born on this date, but you don't know that child. But the court being the upper guardian has to make the decision. So in most of my cases, when the parents are in court, because I always ask other parents, is a mother, is a father, yeah. then I address them directly that we now have to make a decision for a child that we don't know because you as parent can make a decision about your child. And one of the other memorable cases that I remember, where especially women again, we married in community of property, we housewives, husband decides to divorce you, you have nothing because it was in out of community, excluding everything. You literally have to work out with your clothes. So there's one case that I said, this is not going to happen. She cannot, because we are so naive at times that she was the one doing the finances. She did the investment for the husband. She literally did everything, but because she trusted him. Time of divorce, the guy wants to give nothing, not even a cent. I'm like, how naive can we be as women? Another woman have been keeping away, even if it is 10,000 a month in savings, if something happens, but she literally gave everything to make sure that things are done well. I, I, I'm sure she was thinking, I will never get divorced. The divorce comes, husband wants to leave her with nothing. I said, it's not going to happen. Even if I'm married out of community of property, excluding everything, I'm going to give this woman some of the money, which I did. I gave the money, some of the share of the money. He might not have been happy, but I felt when we get into this kind of marriages as women, we should really know what to expect if you get divorced or if you sometimes they say you get married out of community because in terms of businesses or what but what about yourself especially if you are the housewife we are taking care of everything so those are the things that women need to open up to be taught about to be campaigned about to be workshop to know that what you do when you are faced with such situations there's still a lot of women out there who are still struggling when it comes to such cases such important advice that I think women really need to be aware of when they're making these important life decisions. Legislation is an incredibly powerful tool, and if upheld correctly, it really can advance women's rights. I sometimes think that it's hard to imagine that it's only been since 1996, 27 years ago, when the Bill of Rights was introduced, that all women in South Africa were formally recognized as equal citizens. In your view, what have been some of the important equality gains that women have attained? In my view, because my personal experience with regards to women having that equal rights, for example, as I was working as a nurse, my husband was still studying as a doctor. I couldn't get a house. I had to stay with my mother because I was not entitled to have property as I was kind of like a minor to my husband. My husband had to take care of me. So I couldn't buy a house. I had to stay with my mom and see when he qualifies that, then we can have a house. So there's a lot of things at least that we can say improvement has come in. We can now buy houses. Simple things like buying a car. You had to have your husband to be present to buy yourself a car. So now at least you can enter into contracts. You can buy things. You can sign contracts. We can occupy high positions now as women. There's no more that you cannot do it because there was this mentality that women are emotional creatures. If you have to do high position jobs, you'll be emotional. I believe we've achieved a lot so far. We are in every space corner where we can be present. We are there and we are ready to face the challenges be it being a judge, be it being a chief justice, be it minister or whatever, we are ready to face all these challenges. So with the equality that has come along, slowly though, but it is there, we can see it, we can see the difference. It's just a matter of we must implement these things.
we must push forward because sometimes it might be ignored that no we have given them that they must now sit down in a corner and keep quiet we have to go out and push for it because others if we don't push for it it will not be implemented given your very real lived experiences not being able to buy a house uh if you wanted to buy a vehicle that you would need permission from your husband or there with signing powers what do you think is still left for us to achieve, to really push over that boundary and get equal equality? You know, for us to achieve that, because our constitution already has done that for us. So it's for us just to push forward because, I mean, the constitution said we are all equal. There's the Bill of Rights. All these things are there for us to implement. And it's not a matter of, like, I remember what Deputy Chief Justice said once, I am a woman and then I'm a judge. We shouldn't feel like people should empathy and sympathize with us and treat us as like these special creatures who need to be given all these rights. We have these rights, it's just a matter of they must be implemented. We must be given the, these rights, We must they must be implemented for us to exercise them. It shouldn't be like we are being done a favor to have these rights or somebody's like, let's do this for them. It is there for us to take and run with it. Judge Jacero, one of the things that does concern me when I reflect back on last year in the United States of America, there was the Roe versus Wade abortion law, which had been passed 50 years prior and was then overturned. And the thing that concerns me is that by overturning that ruling, the idea that women's rights could regress So what do you think we as women, general populace, should be doing to ensure that our hard-earned rights are not taken away from us? It's so true. We really need to work very hard because if we go back in the back chair and slam, they will be taken away from us. So we have to work hard. I was thinking the line of we continue being empowered. We continue with awareness campaigns. We continue with teaching women out there their rights in society, in the workplace, whether it be in marriage, you find that women, especially in your rural villages, cultural areas, they have no clue about their rights as women. So all these kind of, whether it's radio interviews, community stations, media, making women on a day, not only once, like for example, now it's August, we're doing Women's Month. Now the women's rights are all out there. It should be right out through the year. January to December, every day, the rights should be preached. Awareness campaigns should be out there. People should be informed. Whether going to schools, talk to young girls to take the information further to their mothers, whether we go to the communities out there in the rural villages, teach women that you don't need to sit back and say, I'm waiting for somebody to come and rescue me. Go out and exercise your rights, implement your rights. Awareness, awareness, and awareness. You're so right. We absolutely have to do more awareness and it cannot just be restricted to Women's Month. It has to be ongoing activities. Every day, every day. You're listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity. And today we're talking to High Court Judge Sharon Chisiwe from the Free State Division of the High Court. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Judge Jasira, do you think that having more women in the justice value chains leads to decisions and public policies that are perhaps more considerate of issues that affect women, such as equality, 
employment discrimination, fair pay? I think it does because there is then there's more inputs from the women who are also there who are involved. Because the women are faced daily with these kind of challenges, sexual harassment, inequality, discrimination. So if women are involved in those policies, if women are involved in the drafting of whatever papers, their views are expressed, their inputs are put in there, and women are conscious and vigilant that public policies and decisions should not be passed without their inputs, without their views, without their opinion. So when we are involved in all these things, all these policies, things will not just be passed without having a say in it. We can say it from a woman's point of view, from a woman's perspective, how we think policy should be run, how we think policy should be implemented, because as a woman will be able to accommodate a woman's view, a woman's opinion, knowing that what what women go through on a daily basis. That's a really important perspective to incorporate how women experience the types of policies that have been devised for them. They've, they've got to work for us. They've got to work for us, for sure. Like, for example, when you talk about these policies, when you look at sexual harassment, how many workplaces out there do you have sexual harassment policies? They don't. And who gets sexual harassed? The women. So as a result, it has never been considered that let's have a sexual harassment policy to ensure that women are taken care of in a workplace. Because now if you are, for example, sexually harassed in a workplace, you are scared to attend to it or to give to it because there's no policy in place. Whereas if there's a policy in place where women have their inputs, anybody who's going through that is able to say, this is what should be done. This is what I think it should be addressed in that manner because women would have been involved in the drafting of that sexual harassment policy. And having those policies published and accessible to women so that they know what to do. Exactly. One of the things that we talk a lot about on this program is how different sectors of industry have transformed from a gender representation perspective. And when I look at the number of female judges in South Africa, I noticed that there were some statistics in 2016, which indicated that 37% of South African judges were women. By 2020, so four years on, that had increased by five percentage points to 42%. And we see that if we've got more women judges, and as you've mentioned, and there's the value chain by of the legal system value chain, if we have more women in it, it becomes both a capability and capacity building mechanism to develop um, female legal professionals or, or judges. What else do you think needs to be done to improve the representation of female judges in South Africa? Currently, the Women Judges Association, the chapter, South African chapter, I would think they are doing a great job in empowering women, encouraging women to make themselves available for the bench. As well as the current programs, I think it was uh, implemented by the then Bridget, Mayor Bridget Mabandla, who was the then Minister of Justice, who came up with the aspirant program that is training aspirants potential people who want to become judges so that they go to a, a vast training to ensure that they are empowered, they are properly equipped to be able to do the work, as well as having your available uh, people who want to act as judges. And then the more the pool is open up, because previously, remember, people were taken from the bar 
and uh, attorneys, but now the pool has been opened up to the academics, to many other fields that they can come in as, for example, I was in government as a family advocate, but then I was able to come out and attend these trainings to aspirant training to becoming a judge. So the more these kind of programs are put in place, the more women will make themselves available to go because the thing that's out there, which I have personal experience, the fear of having to go into the bench, there's the thing that, will I make it? Will I cope? Am I? So if these training programs, the come, the workshops for people to make them, come, make yourself available, we'll help you. We'll make sure that you get to know how to do the work. If you have the passion for it, you can do it. So the current Women for Judges Association and the Aspirin Program. For now, I would say they are the only two programs that are trying to push women forward. If there can be more programs that can be out there so that more people are... For example, when I went for a judicial... I was not even aware, where do you see the adverts for a judicial post? If those kind of things can be put out there so that people know the adverts for judicial posts are with the JSC, the JSC does the following thing. More awareness also again where people information should be easily be available from the JSC from the judiciary so that people should know because for me before I came in it looked like it's this kind of career that it's only for certain people you cannot come in because information doesn't come out easily people don't know about it so most of as women we need to start telling each other no this job can you find out on the JSC a website you find out on the judiciary things you, you you go out there and people will know that oh there's this kind of work that you can do to approve so it should be made easily available and easily accessible because by the time when i came in it was not easily accessible it was not easily available so if more more still needs to be done so that we are at the point where we can lately say a lot has been done i always say i'm worried that we pushing i'm 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 sure we want to do women enough so that there are enough women in the pool. I always say I'm worried that are we pushing women so far that a couple of years down the line, we'll be talking about where's the men now? The men might have become extinct. Then we have to start talking about men empowerment to come back in the judiciary. I'm thinking we should balance the thing. We should say women come in, but don't push the men out. Don't push them aside so that we can balance it that in the end, we are coming in in equal amounts. We won't, we don't want to be sitting with a bench eventually after years. That's all female. There's no more any men available. True. There does have to be a balance. But I think in the same way that we have been trying to address race imbalances, gender imbalances, that until we get to that, that point of equalization, we do need to provide these programs to, to one, make women aware of what is available and what they can access, and then two, to be able to run with those programs to reach their their highest um, their highest ambitions. Like I said, you it, it is not easily accessible. You have to research thoroughly to find out where do you get the advice for a vacant judge's positions? How do you get to a point where I get a, a chance to go and act? You have to research it. It's not easily available. So those are the things that should be made available. You should just click on a computer or wherever you want to find, and the information must be there. True. Something for the judiciary to develop and take away from, from yes. our conversation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Judge Tsiwa, besides 
the legal structure and, and working in, in the law, we also know that you have a home life. And often I've found that the juggle between career and motherhood has been a controversial issue for women. How do you see this? It's a very tough one because now your family wants you to be available all the time. Yeah, I'm sitting in Harrismet today for the week. I was here last week. And kids and husband don't have an idea when is this woman at home. Because before I came here, I was at the conference of the judges in Hermanas. So juggling between the work, the family, your social life, because in the end, you are a person, you need to have a social life also. You have to balance all these three things. It's quite difficult. Because sometimes, especially when you come in as a young judge, it's difficult to juggle between your kids and the work. For example, when I came in, in the legal field as a, as a, as a, as an attorney those years, my last one was in grade R. She would often say to me, ma, all the parents are attending their children's school activities. You are never there. You know, I had to resign for that year. I resigned from my work and made sure that I attend all the school activities of a grade R and grade one. So that I'm available at all times. Cause you don't want to set up where the child grows up, but ma, you are never available. You're always somewhere in the country, you do feel bad as a mother that I'm not available for my kids. But you try to make time in between that. When you are on circuit court, like I was this week and last week, I try weekend, Saturday, Sunday, it's family time. We sit together, we do movies, we do whatever we need to do. And then Monday, and when I'm not in circuit, normal high court duties, I try to work Monday to Friday. Weekend, same story. I try to not have work at home so that I balance to have time with the family. And for every recess that we go on recess, one week of that recess throughout the whole year, for every recess, a week, I take a week, we go on holiday as a family, all of us. So that when I come back, then I tell them, we've spent time together as a family. Now I need to attend to my work. And then I dig, dig into the work. In between, you have friends who will call you, when can we go out for a coffee or something? You have to juggle in an hour or so, go out with friends to have family. So the balancing is quite a tricky one, but you just have to have ways of balancing it. That they understand when Ma is at work from eight until five, when she comes home, she's the mother in the house. I still cook your traditional food. I still do your, you know, everything that needs to be done as a wife in the house to ensure that nobody complains. But you don't even cook in the house. You are never, because you are too busy with judgments. I try to balance the house life my work life, my social life all the time so that nobody, although it's quite difficult, nobody gets neglected, especially my husband, quite demanding as you know, man. I try to balance that also to ensure that he gets the attention that he will expect from me as a wife. Time management seems to be a skill that is well under your belt. And I would also say that you're a juggler, thinking of the social life, the children, the husband, work, that you keep all these balls up in the air. I keep all these balls up in the air. And remember, I've got six grandkids and four of those grandkids stay with me. So between my kids, my grandkids, family, it's just keeping all the balls in the air all the time. And one way or the other, with faith and God's strength, I think God here next to me is helping me to keep all this together and the energy, everything is kept in place. Because every school holiday, the grandkids are there, the kids are there. We go on family holidays, all of us, and the juggling continues. 
and I always say, it's unfortunate as a woman, that's what we do. We take care of everybody and everything, but we tend to neglect ourselves because you want to make sure that everybody's fine and happy. You end up neglecting yourself. My best relaxing way of doing it, whenever I come on circuit like I am here, the first thing that I look for in, in, in a place like this, I look for the massage parlor. Where there is a massage place, I run in there and go and do a full body massage. That also helps me to distress and to still continue balancing things. Judge Chisiwe, one question that I want to ask you now is about your personal journey and factors for success. Many of our guests have spoken about aspects of discipline, focus, faith, particular people in their life, values. In your view, what have been some of the key drivers to your success? My key drivers to my success is discipline. Discipline which I learned from my mother and discipline which I learned from the nursing field also. Remember when we were doing nursing those years, the nursing was like a military field. We were like soldiers, but in the form of nursing. So I taught myself and in fact with my mother's pushing and motivation because she was a single parent and she taught me if you want something, you must go out and get it. And her values were very important. She would always say to us, you cannot eat if your neighbor is hungry. Before you eat, make sure that your neighbor also has something. We always strive to make sure that discipline is maintained in the house. Even now with my kids, the same discipline that my mother had on me, I instill it in my kids. And the same discipline that I learned at the nursing field, I instill it in the legal field to ensure that nothing you don't say things are perfect, but you try to maintain the balance of discipline, values, the Ubuntu that we always talk about, that all is contained in one bucket and all is kept together. And what I've learned from my community members, what I've learned from my mother, what I've learned from family members is that you maintain discipline, respect, value, and the respect part of you don't go around with I'm a judge. People must bow down and do as I instruct them to do. No, you respect from the cleaning person who cleans the floors up to the, you know what, most of your lower people end job, but you respect each and every person. You serve each and every person with integrity. You serve with honesty. You try and all the principles that and put together Ubuntu, you try to put all that together. Very admirable traits to have and a lot of integrity and maintaining other people's dignity go, goes into that. Mm. Can you tell us about some of the important moments in your life when you were growing up? Uh, growing up was quite a nice time those years. Playing in the dusty streets of Kimberley, playing all nice, funny games we had that the kids of today don't have. Sharing clothes with my sisters because we had the basics. We had like literally the basics. What you had, you shared with each other. And in spite of all those basics we had, I mean, we things like what we cry for now today, electricity, we didn't have. We had our candles, we had your fire making outside. But still, in spite of all that, we were still happy. We still had memorable times because with that fire out there, it will be story time. Whoever's there will be telling stories. 
And every night it's a different person telling a story, sitting around those fires and telling all those stories, enjoying the company of each and every family member will be sitting around that fire. It was the nicest moments that we have. Compared to today's time, everything is rush, rush, hush, hush. We People sitting in their houses, kids sitting together, everybody on their cell phones, no talking, no socializing because everybody's busy in their own little world. Growing up, memories, if one looks back, were actually quite the best and one should appreciate and nurture those moments of those years because today's time we don't have that anymore. It's just simply gone. Your mom sounded like a, a fantastic role model in your life. Can you tell us about some of the other female role models or influences that have been important to you? Yeah, my mom was the first one. Of course, like I said, she was the iron first lady, made sure that we follow line. Then my my when I was a candidate attorney, my principal was a woman. She had a quite uh, huge influence on me. She encouraged me more in my legal field and said, this is what you do. And I've learned a lot from her and I still appreciate it till today. Then the current president of the SCA, um, Judge Molly Mella, one of the women that quite influenced me, she was the one who played a big role in allowing me to come and act and see if I would do this work, if I cope with doing this work. So the influence, there's a lot of women out there, but the main women that I can say three, I point out my mother, my candidate, my principal was my in my in my candidate attorney days and the current SCA president. Thanks for sharing. And we we have uh, interviewed uh, Justice Molamello in our early days on, on the show. Thinking about the future, what would you like your legacy to be? Uh, you know what? I it, It's not always easy to have a legacy that you can say, this is what I've left behind. But what I've learned whilst I'm here is to ensure that you treat each and every person as your equal. You never ever make people feel they are below you. Whatever you do every day when you wake up and go to work, it should be like, I'm going to serve people out there and treat them with the utmost respect. For example, you have a lot of people sometimes who tend to be in person in court. I go all out to ensure that that person will leave that court being satisfied that that judge who sat on that bench assisted me in my problem, helped me to ensure that I leave this court having been helped, being satisfied that I am. I went out, I, I went into court with no lawyer, but I came out being happy that the judge was there to guide me, to direct me, to help me, to leave the court being happy. My legacy will be being Sharon just Chesiwe, have served the citizens of Bloemfontein Free State with so much dignity, honesty, respect that there's no moment that anybody can want to say, that was a very rude judge. She didn't know how to treat me in court. You want them to realize, as a judge, you are a human being. You can always treat people very well. That's such an important lesson, treating everyone as an equal. As we wrap up today's show and in recognition of Women's Month, please can you share a few words of inspiration or motivation that you'd like to pass on to girls and women in the continent that are listening to us? 
Yeah, firstly, I have to say women, we must realize it. We must appreciate it. We are strong. We don't have to doubt one moment our strength. Remembering what Margaret Thatcher said, if you want something to be done, ask a woman to do it. And whatever men can do, we can also do. Let's not doubt ourselves. Let's not question ourselves. Let's not be discouraged by what we see in social media. Because if you look at social media, there's a lot of things that they will say, women can't do this. Or when somebody in a top position, something didn't go well, ah, it was expected because it's a woman. Let's not let anybody make us feel we are incompetent. We cannot do anything. We are as good as the next person. We are able to do everything. My parting was being, let's show the world we can do anything. We are just as strong as anybody out there. That's a great message. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Doc. It was quite a pleasure. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to High Court Judge Sharon Chisiwe from the Free State Division of the High Court.